Let's turn in the Old Testament to the book of Numbers. And we will begin our Scripture reading at Numbers 9, verse 15. Numbers 9, verse 15 through chapter 10, verse 13. The text for the sermon which I will not reread is Numbers 10, verses 1 through 10. 9, verse 15, And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely, the tent of testimony. And at even there was upon the tabernacle as it were the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that, the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. And at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was. When the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents. And according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was. When the cloud abode from even unto the morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed or whether it were two days, or a month, or a year, that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents, and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tents. And at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed, they kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, All the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but with one trumpet, then the princes, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. When ye blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east parts shall go forward. When ye blow an alarm, The second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, ye shall blow, but ye shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance 
forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness, and in your solemn days, and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass on the twentieth day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony and the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran and they first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. This is the infallibly inspired Word of God. As announced, the text for the sermon is Numbers 10, verses 1-10. through 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the words of the text this evening constitute the very last words that God gave to Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. Moses, make thee two trumpets of silver. It will be good for us to take just a moment to familiarize with ourselves with the context here at Sinai to understand these words of the Lord. Really, the beginning for Israel was when they came out of Egypt. In fact, that's how they marked time. So that when they came out of Egypt, it was year one, Month one, day one. It took three months for them to get to Mount Sinai, and then they would spend nine months at Mount Sinai, during which time Moses would go up the mount, receive the Ten Commandments, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and all the plans for the tabernacle. Down at the bottom, of course, Aaron is building the golden calf. Moses will go down, and after the whole matter of the golden calf, Israel will rear up the tabernacle of the Lord. God will fill it with the cloud of His glory, and that brings to a conclusion one year since departing Egypt. However, Israel would remain at Sinai for approximately 50 more days. For we read in the very next verse, verse 11, and it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. The cloud lifts up, they pack up the tabernacle, and off they go. That's year two, month two, day 20. About 50 days after the completion of the first year since Egypt. And there were a number of significant events that happened during those 50 days. All the ordinances of the book of Leviticus were given. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, were killed by God for offering strange fire. 
God would number the people by numbering the men of war. And they numbered over 600,000 men of war. If you figure most of them were married, we're now over 1 million people. If you figure most of the married couples had at least a few children, we're well over 2 million people. If you add all the older people, well, the most conservative estimate for how many people were in Israel at this time is well over 2 million. God numbered them. He also organized them so that when the tabernacle was built and filled with the cloud of glory, it was always in the center. Three tribes would pitch their tents, hundreds of thousands of people, to the east. Three tribes with all their tents and people to the west, three to the north, three to the south. And when it was time to leave, the cloud would lift up off the tabernacle, move, and everyone would follow. And into the wilderness they would go. Before, though, they depart Mount Sinai, God has one last word to Moses and Israel. Moses, make thee two trumpets of silver. What is Moses supposed to do? Thousands of years ago, at the base of Mount Sinai, millions of Israelites spread out in front of them. How does he communicate? Communication. How does he get their attention? How does he send them messages? They don't have carrier pigeons. Send them out. They don't have smartphones and text and immediate knowledge to the whole group. He has a voice. He can shout as loud as he can, but only a few hundred would hear him. Most would never hear him. What do you do to get attention, to send signals? Moses says, God, right before they leave, make thee two trumpets of silver tonight. What are the trumpets of silver? How are they used? How do they relate to us? What is their gospel significance? Let's consider the memorable words of Numbers 10, verses 1 through 10. The silver trumpets, then, now, and finally. Back then, God commanded, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 2, make trumpets. Now don't think of our trumpet, which is that twice bent brass instrument with three valves. And don't think of that curved ram's horn, which they used around Jericho and Gideon's band of 300 use. For the word translated trumpet here doesn't, is not shofar, the Hebrew word for curved ram's horn. It's another word that refers to a long, straight, slender tube that flares out at the end with no valves. Later in history, it's called a clarion used by watchmen on the walls, soldiers in the field to get attention, to send signals. Trumpets. Now there are two characteristics of a trumpet that make it unique among all instruments. One, trumpets have a loud and powerful sound. So that if your heart is very troubled and you're so discouraged within, 
you would not want someone to come up to you and play a trumpet. But it might be very nice if someone could gently pluck the strings of a harp like David did for Saul. However, if you're a school teacher in a large school with hundreds of students, it's recess, they're all outside in the playgrounds, in the fields, all around the school, and you get one instrument to get everyone's attention, then you want a trumpet. It makes a loud, powerful sound. Second, the trumpet makes a clear and distinct sound. If I turned my back to you and you played 15 different instruments and said, now guess which one? And then a few more notes on another. Now guess which instrument this is? I'd probably be confused on many of the instruments, but as soon as you played a trumpet, I should be able to say, that is a trumpet. If you get one instrument to send signals with a very clear, distinct sound, you want to use a trumpet. Now you take these two characteristics of the trumpet and you put them together, loud and powerful sound, clear and distinct sound, that's what makes the trumpet unique. It's what makes a trumpet a trumpet. I'm here, your ear is yonder, and it doesn't matter what the atmosphere is literally and figuratively. There's an instrument. There's one instrument that can cut. There's one instrument that can pierce through any atmosphere and get that ear. And it's the trumpet. Moses, make thee two trumpets. Moses, said God, make thee trumpets of silver. Verse 2. You recall how the Israelites left the land of Egypt and they plundered the Egyptians coming out with all kinds of wealth and valuables including silver. And they would use that silver for some of the hardware within the tabernacle and also for the trumpets. Now, verse 2 says very specifically, of a whole piece shalt thou make them. That is, very literally, Hammer them. And the point is, the Israelites were not to take some heated up molten material and pour it into the mold and let it get hard in the shape of a trumpet, but they were to take a whole piece of silver and pound it, hammer it out into shape so that it would be less likely to have any defects like little cavities in the cast. These trumpets would be durable, expensive, and they would produce a very Pure sound. Silver trumpets. Moses, said God, make thee two trumpets of silver. Verse 2. There doesn't appear to be any, be any enduring theological symbolic significance to the number two because later we read in Second Chronicles 5, verse 12, that when Solomon's temple was completed and they brought the ark into its final resting place, 120 priests sounded with these trumpets. Evidently, there were many more than two. Probably it was for practical purposes. Two of them. For we read in verse 8, And the sons of Aaron the priests shall blow with the trumpets. Who blows the trumpets? Aaron's sons. How many sons does Aaron have? Two. Four? Then two. 
In the last 50 days, Nadab and Abihu were just killed. Eleazar and Ithamar make a trumpet for each one. Two, not one. Double the sound. Eleazar, blow that way. Ithamar, to his back, blow that way. And be sure that all to the distant reaches of the camp will hear. So Moses make the two trumpets of silver. Now when Israel makes these trumpets, they can use them for the purpose that God designed. And the rest of the text is God's explanation of the occasions for which they would use the silver trumpets. And there were four uses. Two in the wilderness as they're journeying. And uses three and four in the land of Canaan when they arrive. Use number one. For the wilderness, calling an assembly. Time to come. Verse 2 states it, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly. Verses 3 and 4 explain. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but with one trumpet, then the princes, which are the heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. The gathering of the assembly is the lawful assembly of representatives from all of the tribes of Israel at the door of the tabernacle to meet God. The tabernacle, that's the symbol of God's presence in the nation. So that though God is omnipresent, He's everywhere in the whole of the universe. Where is God in His grace and mercy? See that tabernacle? God is with us. And so the people would assemble themselves to the tabernacle to meet God for two purposes. First of all, to receive from God His Word through the priests. Listen. God speaks to us. And second, to give God worship through the priests. And those priests represent, they're a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great High Priest. So this is covenant life. This is fellowship with God. He speaks to us in Christ. We give Him our worship in Christ. The meeting of the assembly at the door of the tabernacle. Now sometimes, according to verse 4, it was only the princes who were to come as the tribal leaders and meet God at the door of the tabernacle. So here you have a nation of over 2 million people. How do you call them to the tabernacle? Eleazar, take your trumpet. Ithamar, take your trumpet. Now, together in unison, blow long and hard. Time to come. And here come the Israelites to meet God. And if you only want the princes to come and they live closer to the tabernacle than just one of you, the sound will be a little softer. Blow! And then the princes will come to meet God. The calling of an assembly. Use number two. In the wilderness. Ordering a journey. Time to go! Stated in verse 2, and for the journeyings of the camps. Explained in verses 5 through 7. When ye blow an alarm, 
Then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. So when it's time to pack up, all these people and all these tribes have to pack up their tents and all their belongings, and the Levites have to disassemble the tabernacle, pack it all up, and everyone has to get ready now for their journeying through the wilderness. You use the trumpets to send the signal. Now verse 7 makes a distinction between blowing and sounding an alarm. And biblical scholars are all agreed that each of these words represents a different signal, but they're not always agreed on which word represents which signal. Very likely, the blow refers to a long, continuous blast. Blow! And the sounding of alarm refers to short, sharp, repeated bursts. Sound and alarm. When it's time to come, the calling of an assembly, time to come, then you blow. And when it's time to go, pack up, get ready to go, you sound an alarm. Now lest there be confusion with everybody trying to pack up and move in the same direction at the same time, the sounding of the alarm could be done one or more times according to verses 5 and 6. So that the first time the alarm is sounded, verses five, and six, verses 5 and 6 teach us that the three tribes on the east side would get ready first. And that's significant because that's Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And Judah's always first. Judah's the royal tribe out of whom the Shiloh, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the King would come. You sound an alarm, the three on the east get ready. When you sound an alarm the second time, says verse 6, then the three tribes on the south side pack up and get ready to go. And then it's repeated for those on the north and those on the west. Now they're ready to journey. When the cloud lifts up off the tabernacle and moves into the wilderness, everyone's ordered and ready to go. Clear? It has to be clear. It was clear for all the Israelites, even the boys and girls, blow! Did you hear it? It's time to come and meet God. Blow! Did you princes hear it? It's time to come and meet God. Sounding of an alarm. Three tribes on the east, time to pack up. Get ready to go. Wait for it. The sounding of an alarm. Three tribes on the south, your turn. Pack up. Get ready to go. Use number three. In Canaan, a call to battle. Time to fight. Verse 8 informs us that the use of the trumpets will continue past the wilderness into the land of Canaan because they are for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. Once they arrive in the land of Canaan, uses 1 and 2 become obsolete. 
God will not call them to the tabernacle with a trumpet. Practically, it wouldn't even work because the tribes will all be spread out for hundreds of miles through all their tribal inheritance. And the second use obviously is obsolete because they're no longer journeying. It's no longer time to pack up and go. But this is the third use, verse 9. If you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets. And ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Once again, the land of Canaan, they will be surrounded by and constantly attacked by their ungodly enemies. And when they're being oppressed, then the priests can sound an alarm. And that's a call to all the men of war. Come, it's time to fight. At the same time, that sounding of an alarm is in heaven a cry of distress. And God promises you, promises when you cry, I'll remember you. Verse 9, I'll remember you. Not that God forgets them and forgets their needs, but God is pleased to give His mercy and to keep giving His mercy to those who trust in Him, believe in Him, recognize their conscious dependence upon Him that they have nowhere to go but unto Him and they cry out for Him to Him for help. Not to the proud and self-reliant, but to those who cry. God promises, I'll remember you. I'll save you. So when the enemy comes to attack, the priest sound an alarm. It's a call to battle for the men. It's a cry of distress unto God. And listen how it worked in the days of King Abijah later. 2 Chronicles 13, verse 14. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. And it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Time to fight. The fourth and final use for the land of Canaan is a cry of gladness. Time to rejoice. Verse 10, Also in the day of your gladness, and in your solemn days, and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. Every day is a day of gladness if you belong to the everlasting covenant of grace. But there are still special times of gladness. Verse 10 speaks of the solemn days. Those are the appointed feasts, like the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 10 speaks of the beginnings of your months. That's every new moon. Every new moon is a new season. It's a new time to rejoice in God. But there are also once-for-all events like the completion of the temple by Solomon. That's a day of gladness. So on these days, the priests would blow with the trumpets. And that was a call to all Israel. Time to rejoice. Look how great our God is and what good things He's done. Everybody, lift up your hearts in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. It's a day of gladness. 
Now intentionally, according to verse 10, those trumpets were blown over the sacrifices. They were blown over the burnt offering, which was a picture of the whole Christ being offered unto God on the cross as an atonement for them. They were blown over the sacrifices of the peace offerings, which were pictures of Christ being sacrificed on the cross as the only basis for any peace and fellowship with God. Theologically, there's not a man, woman, or child in Israel who has any joy. Not one has any joy. Unless there's blood. Unless there's fire. Unless there's smoke. Unless there's a sacrifice. Unless there's the reality Jesus Christ and the fullness of redemption. And so, intentionally, the trumpets were sounded over the sacrifices in the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have joy and gladness. And this was a memorial, verse 10 says, before your God. A memorial. God will remember us. Why will God remember us? Because we've been so faithful and devoted to God all the years through the wilderness and into the... No, because the promised Messiah will be faithful to God and perfectly keep all of His statutes. The burnt offering, the peace offering, for the Messiah's sake, Israel will be remembered before the Lord her God. It's time to rejoice. So now you take all four of these uses of the silver trumpets and you bring them all together. And and what we have in all of them is the authority and the voice of God. This isn't Moses' wise idea. He didn't come up with it one day to make trumpets. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, These are God's trumpets. And verse 8, Not just anybody can blow these trumpets, only a couple. Verse 8, The sons of Aaron the priests shall blow with the trumpets. That is, the anointed office bearers of God who have the authority of God. So that when you hear these trumpets, God calls time to come. God calls time to go. God calls time to fight. God calls time to rejoice. Can you imagine being an Israelite? You're living thousands of years ago, whether you're in the wilderness or in your promised land of Canaan. This is the great sound in all creation. When you hear the trumpet blast, when you hear the melodious peal of the trumpet, that's our God. You boys and girls hear that? Do you hear that trumpet? That's the voice of God. What's the grand testimony of all of this? The conclusion of the text. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God. When you hear that sound, I'm your God. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. God is here. So when you read Psalm 89, verse 15, Now you know the joyful sound. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. The silver trumpets. Then. What about now? 
We no longer have these silver trumpets. You've never seen them. I've never seen them. You've never heard them. I've never heard them. None of us has. We don't have silver trumpets. We have that to which they pointed as symbolism. The preaching of the Gospel. If I were ever asked to help design or put input in architecturally to the design of stained glass windows in a church, and it was said, we want some kind of biblical emblem in the window. Some might not. Some might. Let's put some biblical emblem. I'd say, let's get two long, slender tubes that flare out at the end, representing the silver trumpets, which represent the preaching of the Gospel. We must have the silver trumpets somehow because verse 8 says that they are an ordinance forever throughout your generation. So, as long as the generations of the covenant continue until the day Jesus returns, we need these silver trumpets. Today, now, we have them in the preaching of the Gospel. An instrument God uses to make a loud, powerful, clear, distinct sound to give messages to His people. Let me prove that from just two passages of Scripture. I'll take one from the Old and one from the New Testament. First, already in the Old Testament, the voice of the prophet, we could say, the voice of the preacher, was regularly likened to a trumpet. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. In the New Testament, we have the Apostles' instruction to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, where he likens prophecy we could say, where he likens preaching to the trumpet. And then he warns against unedifying prophesying or preaching. And he says, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? And his interest isn't in any of the trumpeters in the congregation. His interest is in those who are prophesying, in those who are preaching. So then, God in heaven, through His anointed office bears the priests, by the instrumentality of the trumpets, would speak to His people. And now, God in heaven, through His ordained office bears, preachers, and by the instrumentality of preaching, will speak messages to His people. So when the great prince of all preachers came, our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever read anywhere in the Gospels that He was blowing a trumpet? But when He went up on the mountain, and when He went all through Palestine, He preached the Word of God. And right before He ascended up into heaven, He gave the great commission to His disciples. And you don't ever read of Him saying, Peter, this is your silver trumpet. And James, I have one for you. He gave them the Word. And He said, Go ye therefore and 
teach all nations. And so when the Apostle Paul comes, he's called to be the great missionary to the Gentiles. Have you ever read in any of the New Testament epistles that Paul went to Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Athens, Rome, blowing on a silver trumpet or calling someone to do it? He went preaching the Gospel. So when the Gospel is sounded, it must be like a trumpet that is loud and powerful. Now that doesn't mean that the minister must be a shouter. He'll ruin himself and his voice and the ears of all of us if all he does is shout. But it means that message better be weighty so that it carries. And the preaching of the Gospel must be like a trumpet making a clear and distinct sound so that there's no confusion anywhere. Who is God? Jehovah or any creature or imagination in your mind? What is the sole basis for the fullness of our salvation? The meritorious works of Jesus Christ or something of My will and works and worth? What kind of kingdom is the kingdom of our Lord? Is it earthly and carnal? Or is it spiritual and heavenly? How did all things come into existence? By a creative act of God or by some evolutionary process? The preaching of the Gospel must be clear and distinct like a trumpet. And when that Gospel is properly preached, you are hearing a very, very pure and very, very expensive sound that was created at the cross and it's not with silver, but with the blood of infinite worth. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The proclamation of the Word. Now as we look at the text, we can go back to those four uses of the silver trumpets and we can learn several important uses of the preaching in issuing calls. First, through the preaching, God issues the call, come. God does not offer in the sense of a well-meant offer one of the very popular doctrines in most Reformed and Presbyterian churches is what is known as and celebrated as the well-meant offer of the Gospel. Which teaches that when the preaching of the Gospel goes out, God has a love for everyone in the audience. God has a sincere desire to save everyone in the audience. God gave the Lord Jesus Christ to die for everyone in the audience. And now Jesus is freely offered to all in the audience. And hopefully some will accept Him. If the preaching of the Gospel were a well-meant offer, then the preaching of the Gospel would not be likened unto a silver trumpet. Maybe something like a tenor saxophone with its smooth, inviting, and alluring tones. But, the preaching of the Gospel is likened unto that instrument which makes a loud, powerful, clear, distinct, and authoritative sound. And it is the trumpet. Come! 
Come. That's the call. Through the preaching of the Gospel, God reveals His will for worship. Come to Me on the Lord's day in My house with My people in the name of Jesus. And I speak to you through Jesus. And you give Me your worship in Jesus. And that's how we live together. Come. And so we sang at the outset of the worship, Psalter 349, stanza 1. My heart was glad to hear the welcome sound, the call to seek Jehovah's house of prayer. Come and worship. But the fundamental call of the Gospel is always the call to come to Christ. That's taught very strikingly in the text in verses 3 and 4 where God does not say me, but God says thee, Moses. Verse 3, And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Israelites, come to Moses. Verse 4, And if they blow but with one trumpet, then the princes which are the heads of the thousands of Israel shall gather themselves unto thee, Moses. Because Moses stands as a type of the mediator and deliverer who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The call has always come to Moses. That is, come to Christ. That's how you come to God. Come to Christ. That's the great call. Weary sinner, why will you die in your sins? Why do you look for rest in this waste howling wilderness? Have you not learned that nothing here can truly satisfy you? Why do you look for an escape from your guilt by making all these excuses and this self-justification and you keep blaming other people? Why are you sleeping in your sins, you lazy world lover? Why? All ye that labor and are heavy laden trumpets, the Gospel, come to Christ. Not to your Christ. Not to the Christ of your imagination. To God's Christ. He's the tabernacle. God with us. His cross is the only refuge for sinners. His righteousness, peace, and wisdom is that which alone truly satisfies. Come to Christ. And that's the welcome sound. It pierces. It can cut. Through all your working and your pursuits and your temptations and your excuses and your fears, that call cuts through everything. In fact, it cuts right into your heart. It pierces into your heart because God's call is sovereign. It's efficacious. It's irresistible. And it comes right into your heart, piercing into the deepest, innermost recesses of your being so that you hear and you heed the call and you come by faith to Christ. Come. Second. Through the preaching, God calls go out of the Gospel. Flow all of the commands to a thankful, obedient life. Summarized as 
Go. A general command like this one, Jesus trumpeted to the woman taken in adultery. John 8, verse 11, Neither do I condemn thee. Go. And sin no more. It might be a very specific uh, command that comes to a certain individual seated in the pew in church. And it was very recent that his brother committed some great offense and sinned against him grievously. And now the brother in the pew is halting between two opinions. On the one hand, really tempted to start gossiping and telling everybody about what his brother did. But on the other hand, he doesn't really want to do that. He wants to keep it all inside and seethe with bitterness and resentment and anger. And there he sits and the gospel is proclaimed. And out of the proclamation of that gospel comes God's command right to that man's heart. Go! Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brethren shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Might be a very broad command like the one Jesus gave, the call to do mission work throughout the whole world, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Go. And you know from experience that God's trumpet is effectual, that it's irresistible, that it's sovereign. You've experienced that in your own life. When God comes with His command, go. And it hits you and it pierces into your cold and unwilling heart. And you, you are made willing in the day of His power. And you go home from church and you go. Third, through the preaching, God calls time to fight out of the Gospel. Flow the commands unto militancy for the church. Sometimes the call is very general. Earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Sometimes the call is very specific to a man or to a woman. Give no place but fight. In your marriage. Give no place to but fight. Because you went to bed angry and you slept back to back and you wouldn't talk to each other. Now there's a wall between you. It's not a wall. The Apostle through his instruction in Ephesians 4 says you just gave a place to the devil in your anger. Give no place to him but fight. Don't fight her. Don't fight him. Fight the devil. And fight your own coldness and unwillingness to be one with your spouse. Give no place to, but fight. As the church moves through history, there are particular moments along her timeline when very specific calls come to the church. There may be a call to the church, Give no place to the false doctrine of giving to good works a place and function that's out of harmony with the Reformed confessions. Fight that false doctrine. 
Do you look at the church's timeline? There may be another call to fight. Fight against unlawful, wicked, schismatic behavior that tears apart the church. Do you look at the church's timeline? There might be another call. Fight against sexual abuse. Time to fight. And these calls to battle are at the same time cries of distress that rise into the highest heavens. And that's how God hears them. Remember us. And verse 9 is so reassuring in the day of battle that when you blow an alarm with the trumpets, ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Time to fight. That's what we hear. In heaven, God hears, remember us. And God promises in the day of battle, remember King Abijah? In the day of battle, I'll come. I'll remember you. And I'll save you. Fourth, through the preaching, God calls, time to rejoice. Doesn't matter how thick and heavy the atmosphere is, the sorrow and the grief and all the disappointment and the darkness and the hurt and the confusion in your soul, in your home, in the church. When the Gospel announces all that Jesus Christ has done for us for now and into all eternity because of that burnt offering and because of that peace offering, it's time to rejoice. No matter how hard the circumstances of your life may be, because of those offerings, it's always time to rejoice. But there are special festive times even in the new dispensation. And you know that. When you have a resurrection Easter Sunday, when you have a Pentecost Sunday, when you come on Thursday morning for a Thanksgiving worship service, when you come for a Christmas Day worship service to give special attention to the birth of Jesus, when you have a confession of faith, you've had a few of them periodically of late, I see. Confession of faith. When you have a baptism, I see these little infants here being held in arms, but there's believer, believer baptism, those who who've made a confession of faith too. They've come from the outside. Don't think only of infants. When there's baptism, when there's the Lord's Supper, when we don't have a minister and we just get a new minister and he's brand new and now we have an installation of a brand new minister, when we're a new congregation, we've been formed as a daughter congregation or through mission work, this is our inaugural service. It's so festive. You see the burnt offering. You see the peace offering. You see the cross. Now the trumpet, the Gospel declares, people of God, it's time to rejoice. God is so good to us in Christ Jesus. Let your hearts be glad. Are you poor? There's wealth. Are you blind? There's sight. Are you deaf? There's hearing. Are you brokenhearted? There's comfort. Are you weak? There's strength. There's so much in Jesus Christ. It's time to rejoice. Are there any boys here? Young men. Or middle-aged men who would like to play the trumpet.
It's an honor. They numbered over two million. And there were only two men who got to pick up that silver tube and put it to their lips and blow. And in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's often a very small number who are called to preach the Gospel. Young man, do you want to play the trumpet? May God give you an aspiration and then come to seminary where God, through trained servants, will teach you how to play a silver trumpet. Teach you how to preach the Gospel. With this testimony, now and forever, I am the Lord your God. Then, the silver trumpets. Now, the preaching of the Gospel. And together, finally, they both reach their climax in what Scripture calls the last trump. 1 Corinthians 15.41-42 Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Matthew 24, verse 31, And He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds, not any longer from the east and the west and the north and the sound of south of the tabernacle, but from the four winds, from one heaven to the other. All these trumpet blasts from Sinai onward through the wilderness into the promised land of Canaan and today in the new dispensation through the preaching of the Gospel, all these melodious peals, they're all pointing to, toward, they're all building with a crescendo, climactic, last blast with the authoritative voice of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I will call you. That's God's promise tonight. The silver trumpets, finally, I will call you. I'll call you, promises God, with a call that will pierce through all sounds. The sounds of war, the sounds of economic collapse, the sounds of blasphemy and cursing and swearing, the sounds of drunkards carrying on, the sounds of the false gospel and the false church. I'll call you with a sound that will pierce through all sounds. I will call you, says God, perhaps just a handful of you will still be alive on that last day. Most of you will be dead. Your bones will be rotting. Your flesh will be rotting in the dust of the earth. But I'll call you and I'll show as never before my call is sovereign, authoritative, efficacious, and irresistible because you'll be in the dust. And I'll call you to the resurrection of life. I will call you as proof of my covenantal remembrance. I'll demonstrate that I've never forgotten you. 
Abel, I've never forgotten you in the dust of the earth for thousands of years. And you who live in the last moment of the last hour of the last days under the tyrannical reign of the Antichrist, crying out, how long, O Lord, faithful and true, I remember you and I will call you in remembrance. I'll call you with a universal call that transcends all geographical space. It won't be located at Sinai. It won't be localized at the tabernacle or the temple or Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands. My call is going to cut through all geographical space. It will be heard from one end of the heaven clear to the other end of heaven. I'll call you. I'll call you with a final call. You'll never hear it again. Never to be repeated. It will bring all history to its conclusion. I will call you not to a tent, not to Moses, not to a feast, not to a worship service on earth. I'll call you to my heavenly tabernacle, to the heavenly Canaan, the new heavens and the new earth. I'll call you to the Lord Jesus Christ glorified and visible in His body on the clouds of glory. I will call you. I will not employ those silver trumpets. I will not employ any men as mouthpieces in the preaching of the Gospel. I am the Lord your God and I, through my Lord Jesus Christ, will call you with my own voice. And you just wait. It is going to be amazing. One last blast. Come. We'll all come. And out of the dust. Go. We'll all go up to the heights of heaven. Fight no more. Lay down all our weapons. Rejoice. And we'll rejoice forevermore at the last blast. It's going to be amazing. It's going to seize the wicked with terror. This is it. This is it. There is no more. This is the resurrection unto damnation. You will now meet your Maker. The book of Revelation teaches that the sounding of the trumpets unleashes all manner of terrifying judgments against the wicked. And so the call must go out until the day Jesus returns. Repent! Repent! But for you who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and who because of that burnt offering and that peace offering have been covered by His blood of all your sins, to you, it will be the inauguration of the everlasting day of gladness. And then, Psalter 2.22, stanza 2, as never before, let the trumpet far resounding This, our festal day, proclaim. And then, Psalm 89, verse 15, as never before, blessed 
is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of Thy countenance. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Thy Word is deep. It is rich. It is profitable in so many ways. The Old Testament is full of Thy goodness and Thy power unto salvation. So Heavenly Father, as we live all our days, yet until the return of our Lord, do not allow us to keep our Bibles closed, but to open them and by the power of the Spirit to read with understanding. And then give to us especially the proclamation of that Word here in this house that we may be edified in Thy name honored by us. For Jesus' sake, Amen.